the power to live a Christ-like life. Why do you and I believe? Is it because we have been conditioned to by our upbringing or influences in our lives? Or is it because we have experienced the resurrected power that rose Jesus Christ from being dead back to life? It's one thing to be raised with Christ, but it's an entirely different dimension to be raised in Christ. They sound very similar, but one has a power to it which the other one doesn't. One is raised with principles, facts, knowing about, while the other is raised in the power of knowing the person. The scriptures say that Jesus Christ is in fact the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24. So the more we know Jesus Christ through revelation, the more power we experience and live our lives from. Do we know Jesus as our power, as our strength, as our source to live a Christ-like life? We are going to look at and unpack a number of key scriptures which declare of a spiritual dimension and reality for us as his people. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 6.14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. This passage can be broken into two parts. The first is that God had to raise Jesus up with power because he was dead. He had been crucified. He died on the cross and you can't get more dead than dead. We as mankind start our life as dead, Ephesians 2.1, just like Adam and Eve. They died when they partook of the fruit, even though they were physically still alive. Dead to what, you ask? Dead to the spiritual life we were predestined and chosen for before the foundations of the worlds. Dead in sin and iniquity, spiritually dead. How does one get free from this dead state? the same way Jesus was risen from the dead. The Father, who is forever faithful, raised him from being dead back to life through his power. Not through a prayer or prophecy or being raised with Father, but through his divine power and power alone. Only God's power had and has the potential to take Jesus from being dead to being alive. And as we can see, the words of life say, but will also raise us up through his power. We don't need God to raise our physical body, but our spiritual man, who was trapped and in bondage to spiritual death and darkness. God's power not only breaks this nature off us, but the power to continue to live for this old nature, the flesh, saved and raised by his power, and then we start to live from the same power. What a promise we are given to be raised up through his power and then established and built through his power. This is the indestructible life in Christ, not on the basis of a physical law, but according to God's power. Hebrews 7, 15 to 16. God's power raises dead people, people who are willing to lose their life because they know and have realized and recognized their absolute inability to live out a Christ-like life without God's power operating within us continuously. People who have come to the end of self, people who have fallen upon the rock and been broken into pieces, people who are now adequately prepared and positioned to receive a new infilling of a new power, a new strength. We go from the power of self to the power of the Spirit, 
And unless we transition from one to the other, we can kiss goodbye living out a Christ-like life. We will only live out a form of godliness. Let's have a look at another passage or verse which is simple and declares a desire for his power. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul knew his absolute need for the power of God to be his undeniable reality. Paul knew where this power came from, the resurrection. And he knew who the resurrection was. I am the resurrection. Hence it is Paul who declares Jesus being the power and wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24. When Paul received Jesus Christ, he received the power of the resurrection because Jesus is the resurrection. John 11.25 I am the resurrection and the life. This is not a position of two, but a position of one. The life that comes from the eternal gospel comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ in us because the life is all contained in the person because the person is the power. So when we receive the revelation of the person within us, we receive power. And it's this power through what the person accomplished which empowers us to live a Christ-like life. Making a decision based on an intellectual understanding of the gospel is an entirely different dimension to receiving the power of the person through the revelation of that person who is the power of the resurrection, Jesus Christ. Which gospel have we received as his church? The one of power or the one of words? 1 Corinthians 4, 19-20 Although both followers are justified from the two above positions, one is able to live to a standard and dimension which the other one can't. One is able to live from the life one has been predestined and chosen for. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24 which the other struggles and at best survives life rather than overcoming and living this Christ-like eternal life now and in the future. This spiritual reality of one follower living to a reality that another cannot can cause massive division, tension and offense within God's body, causing her to be a body which is divided as opposed to a body which is supposed to be one, one of mind, love, spirit, and purpose. This is not to be the case, but it is and can be because the spirit of pride still exists in the hearts of many followers. So they reject, resist, dismiss, justify, hide, attack, and run from the gospel of power. Of course, just like the Pharisee, they genuinely don't believe they do this or are guilty of this at all. They accuse blame, and accuse the one bringing the message. This reality brings light to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 18-19. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Those who are approved may become evident among you. Wow, what a statement that is. 
that out of the church will come a people who are one with God and one another, a people who live a Christ-like life because of the power of the gospel, a people who live a life of godliness and not a form of it. Let's have a look at another passage of scripture in relation to God's power. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. The cross looks foolishness and ridiculous to the world. What sort of a kingdom doesn't fight to keep himself alive when his enemy is doing everything in its power to kill you? What sort of king lays down their life willingly and allows their enemy to do what they did to him without uttering a word? What sort of a king has at his disposal legions of angels and yet chooses to not use them in his defense? Jesus modeled what weakness looks like in the natural, but in the spiritual, what he lived and demonstrated was powerful. The second part of this verse highlights something extremely profound and correlates to another passage which Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. Yet he lives because of the power of God. Weakness is the way to being strong in God's power. Only when we become weak and not able to function in our strengths and abilities, relinquishing and yielding to God, do we have any chance of experiencing and living from the power of God as Jesus did. This weakness by the world, the flesh, is seen as ridiculous and pathetic and absolute foolishness. It is shunned and written off as complete absurdity. But unless we come to this place of seeing this as an absolute wisdom of God's way, we will never be strong in the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, as this is literally what it says. Verse 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on to say, Then he will boast of his weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. He, in verse 10, makes this statement, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Once again, a completely different dimension and kingdom to the one of the natural. This is not how the earthly, natural man lives. He is 100% opposite of this. The natural man fights for his rights and looks to utilize and capitalize on all his attributes, talents, gifts, and sees all this as his strength. So to relinquish this is seen as craziness and being out of one's mind. What the world perceives as foolishness, God perceives as wisdom and life. And this brings to light the second part of this verse, where not only was it Jesus who lived from his father's power, but Paul and others of the church also did. We also are weak in him, yet we live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Unless we come to the spiritual posture of weakness, we can forget about ever living with him because of his power. While we are strong, we are unaware of our need for another power. Why do we need another power when we have no need for another power? We are more than capable of doing everything we need to do and doing it from our own power or strength and abilities. To not be would be to go backwards, and God is the God of the momentum and the growth. Don't you know that? And by the way, look at all the fruit we have to show for all of our work and effort.
Does any of this sound familiar? This power is directed towards the people. This is why it can be so offensive and people deny it. This power comes to release us from our own self-generated power through the crucifixion and brings us into an eternal heavenly power, God's power, resurrected power. For us to receive this power, there must be a yielding and relinquishing of one's own natural strength. Let's have a look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. This one verse alone is saying so much and almost saying it all. Man's focuses on words and how well he can come to know and understand the words through his mind. While God is the God who is all about his power to bring to light and life his kingdom dimension in and through us. The two operating systems can't be further apart and yet many in the body of Christ suffer and struggle because of a lack of experience in God's power. We attempt to come into life through the understanding of words, man's wisdom, and this creates an arrogance and pride. Verse 19 brings this to light. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. It's one thing to say or teach it, but it's another completely different reality and dimension to live it. One cannot live it without the power of God enabling and empowering it. But one can teach a form of it and answer correctly, technically, without God's power. These are the ones which Paul was going to come to, to test them. Paul's new life was the evidence of God's power, taking from Saul to Paul, and then the formation of life in Paul. So he was able to live as Christ and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what this power enables, the ability to walk in the manner Christ walked. It changes the inside, which enables the outer expression of an eternal response. Man builds on his intellect ability to try and understand God. His faith rests on man's wisdom, the very opposite thing Paul said it was to rest on. The effect of this is that man is unable to demonstrate wisdom. Wisdom is vindicated by her deed. Wisdom is vindicated by her children. And believes and thinks wisdom is about informational knowledge about God. He thinks it's about what he has learned and acquired through intellectual learning, study of the scriptures, rather than being able to live slash demonstrate an eternal life now. Many are happy and content to just give creedal affirmation of words, but not have the corresponding actuality of the word. The kingdom is about power. Children of wisdom, Christ, are able to demonstrate this wisdom because they are experiencing God's power. The spiritual domain or kingdom of God is a kingdom established on the power of his word. Hebrews 1 verse 3, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. All things are upheld by the word of his power. Everything we see which has come and will come into being, comes into being by the word of his power. This is why the kingdom is a kingdom of power and not words. It's the word of power which builds us and changes us on the inside. 
It's the word of his power which saves us. It's the word of his power which opens up the realm of the kingdom for us to see, receive, and enter into the kingdom reality, which Jesus laid hold of us for. It's the word of his power which makes us ready and has us living a life of righteousness now, which will have us participating in the age to come in his kingdom, fulfilling roles and responsibilities. 2 Peter 1, 3 seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We can break this up into two parts, his divine power, his eternal resurrected power, which is fully available in God, has granted to us everything and everything is everything pertaining to life and godliness. When the scriptures declare life and godliness, what life and what is godliness? The life we are referring to here is an eternal life, which is the life that was in Christ. The power, the divine power, brings about the divine life, the eternal life of divine substance. A life that is divine, a joy that is divine, a peace that is divine, a nature that is divine. 1 Peter 1, 4. We are to become partakers of God's divine nature and eternal life. It is God's power and God's power alone that is responsible for this work. This is why the kingdom is about power and not words. Secondly, we want to unpack godliness. Godliness is to live as Jesus himself. It is to live a life of righteousness or right standing just as Jesus did before the Father. It is to walk in the manner that Jesus himself did. Great is the mystery of godliness, because without God's power opening up the spiritual domain, it, godliness, remains a mystery to us and it eludes us. When this is the case, we are left in a form of godliness, because we are attempting to enter in through man's wisdom, as opposed to God's power again, 1 Corinthians 2.5 and 1 Corinthians 4.19-20. It's God's power that enables us to live out a life of godliness. And godliness is profitable for all things, since it, godliness, holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness holds promise for this life and the life to come? What are you talking about? This life is one thing, but the life to come also? If we do not know the power of God, then we won't live out a life of godliness now, which means we won't be part of the roles and responsibilities in the life or age to come, the future kingdom of God back on earth. Jesus lived a life of godliness while he was on earth. If we want to know what a life of godliness is, then look no further than Jesus Christ. His nature, character, his inner life, and his wisdom, meaning demonstration, are what make up this life of godliness. We are to be, become Christ-like in every facet, both inner and outer life. The second part of this verse is what completes this verse and makes it one incredible passage, through the true knowledge of him. These are the words I want us to unpack. Everything pertaining to eternal life and godliness comes through us receiving the true knowledge of God. It's the power of God which brings us into the true knowledge of God. This two-sided verse is very much one truth. All the elements are interlinked in one another to form one truth and dimension. True knowledge is revealed knowledge, 
and revealed knowledge only comes via the Spirit. The knowledge that man acquires through human learning will not empower and enable him to come into an eternal life or a life of godliness, which is the entire point of true knowledge. The truth will make us free, and the truth builds his church. Anything less than this is to only hold and live out a form of life in Christ and godliness. It doesn't matter how technically correct you may have the Logos. It's God's living word written or engraved on our hearts and minds which transforms and changes us and conforms us into the image of God. This is what true knowledge is. It's knowing, in other words, gnosko, substance of knowing the person, Jesus Christ, full stop. Gnosko means intimate knowledge, a true knowledge. Colossians 2.3 says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is a mystery. We have been granted to have revealed knowledge and all the kingdom mysteries because we have been granted to know Jesus Christ who is the mystery. What and how does a church live who have and are coming into this true knowledge of Jesus Christ? Now this is the confronting question we must all ask ourselves if we truly desire to be the church, body, bride, sons, priests, Jesus is calling us to be. There is no way around this. Another passage, which is the same exact thing, Colossians 3, 10-11, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, slave and freedman, but Christ is all and in all. For the next segment, we will put nine passages of prophetic scriptures together and see what the Spirit is saying in relation to these verses. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24 But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24 But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. Acts 2.37 And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said, What shall we do? John 11.25 I am the resurrection and the life. Galatians 1.12 For I neither received it, meaning the gospel from man, nor was I taught it, the gospel, but I received it, the gospel, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 6.14 But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 1.17-18 For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 6, 5-6 For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The common thread for all these nine passages of Scripture is there is power mentioned in every one of them in connection to the gospel. Jesus is that very power. And so when we receive Jesus Christ within us through spiritual repentance, we are crucified with Christ. As Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6.6 6 states, Jesus says he is the resurrection, the resurrected one. So when we receive the resurrected one, the power of God, we are crucified with him and brought into the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, just as Romans 6, 5 states. We have become united in the likeness of his death, so we now share in the likeness of his resurrection. The question, did Jesus die when he was crucified? How did he get resurrected? This is exactly what 1 Corinthians 18 is meaning when it says the cross is the power to all those being saved and what 1 Thessalonians refers to when it states how the gospel came to them, not just in word, but in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It is from the spiritual reality happening in us that we start to live out this new resurrected life in the Son. We live from this power and the abiding life in and of the Spirit. We are constantly having the word of Christ engraved on our hearts and minds through the power of the Spirit. And this enables us to live as Jesus did, walking in the manner in which he walked, lives worthy of God's calling. 1 John 2.6 The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The disciples followed Jesus physically for three to three and a half years without his power operating within them. Their lives are reflective of this powerless dimension. It wasn't until they received this power, this resurrected dimension of power in them, that they started to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This question needs to be answered by us. How long have we been following Jesus and are we filled with his resurrectional born again power which enables us to live lives worthy of his calling. All of Paul's letters are testifying to the resurrectional life of power he has operating within him. We must come into the same spiritual dimension within us if we are to truly be imitators of Paul, Jesus, and God. The last verse we will look at is 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5 in relation to power. It says this, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Our faith is to not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. Faith is the currency of God's kingdom. Without faith, we fail to enter and lay hold of, access and possess all that is concealed within the Christ. When we attempt to grow or enlarge our faith by man's wisdom, we are completely living and demonstrating a back-to-front operating system. We are trying to access and possess life in Christ, spirit, through the ways of man, natural. And all we receive is a false knowledge, which is based on a false faith, 
which leads us to believe in something which is not him, but our version of him. This does us absolutely no good at all. And if we lead others from this place, it is extremely dangerous. Paul makes it very clear that his message and his preaching were in the demonstration of spirit and power. Paul's life itself was the message. The transformation of his life from Saul to Paul is the evidence of his life in Christ, a life in power. His life is like this, so we would know without any doubt how our lives are to be and look. Our lives are not to be resting on man's wisdom, man's ability to comprehend and understand, but on God's power, period. It is God's power that opens up the realm and reality of faith in God. Paul knows this because it is his experience and ongoing experience of how he is coming into life in Christ. To not have God's power open up the spiritual kingdom is to not have faith. If one cannot see, then one has little to no faith of what is already finished in Christ, the unseen one. As we have looked at, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the conviction of the unseen. The conviction of the unseen. How does one come to have a conviction of the unseen? How does one come to have an unwavering confidence in what one cannot see? Because one has seen it. One has seen it through the power of God opening up the unseen realm by faith. When this happens, we now have faith in accordance to God's power. To the reality to which God's power opened up the unseen realm is to the measure we have faith. This is why Paul says our faith must rest on God's power. It is from this position we now testify to what we have seen. These are the words which the wise or mature hear and know, because it is the wisdom of God. Asking God to increase our faith, as the disciples did in Luke 17.5, is of the flesh or the natural order. For our faith to increase, we are to hear the word of God when it is spoken. All this must be done through the power of the Spirit. As we hear the word of Christ through the Spirit's power, faith is opened up to us in relation to what was spoken. We now see what was spoken through spiritual hearing. We hear what is spoken and we see what is written. John 2.22 The last verses of power we will look at is 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Corinthians 2.2 but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and Gentiles foolishness. And for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The connections between these two verses and the rest of the previous verses are clearly being witnessed by all of the Spirit. Both of these verses in Corinthians mentions Christ himself and Christ being crucified. One cannot escape the oneness of the Spirit's way to life here. How can one enter into the wisdom of God, which is Jesus himself, and demonstrate this wisdom now unless they have a living experience of Jesus and him crucified through resurrected power? The Jew seeks this wisdom through signs. The Greek seeks this wisdom through the intellect of man. Both of these ways oppose the way of Christ, Christ crucified. Hence, there is no life associated with these demonic ways which enables us to live a Christ-like life. I love these words, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This looks like a position of two, but it's a position of one. When Paul received Jesus Christ in him, Galatians 1.16, he received the power from Christ crucified because he received the person, 
the resurrection and the life, the power of God. This is the reality we must all experience if we are to truly follow Jesus wholeheartedly and come into everything now and in the age to come. It is from the spiritual posture within us that we abide in Christ and have his eternal life formed in us. Galatians 4.19 It is from the spiritual posture of fellowship, spiritual oneness, which we preach him to all. It is from this posture of fellowship we preach the way of him crucified, which once again is a posture of one because he is the way. Christ and him crucified, which is the way of resurrectional power, is the only way into the eternal, indestructible life in Christ. And it is this life lived out, which is the wisdom Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We, as his children, sons, a people, a nation, are called to live and release the manifold wisdom of God upon the earth. Ephesians 3.10 so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Luke 7, 35, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And Matthew eleven nineteen, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. As God's people, as God's children, we are called to live a life that is godly, a life that is eternal, a life that is in Christ and in Christ alone. We are called to be raised up in Christ, not in Christianity, not in churchianity, by the power of Jesus Christ himself. I want to encourage us all to seek the resurrected one, the resurrected life, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's a person. He's not a principle. It's in the personhood of Jesus himself that we find the power to live out this Christ-like life and walk in the manner in which he did.